I was, I was ready to preach on Thessalonians. Like, I mean, guys, last week we said we're going to preach on Thessalonians. And I was ready to preach on it. And then on Friday, I realized that maybe I've come to a place where I've started comparing myself to the standard of what people do churches and how they do church. And I stopped comparing myself against what God wants. Let that just sink in for a moment. See, there's a thing about comparison, we do it. No matter how much we don't want to do it, we do it. We compare our children with other children. We compare our families with other families. We compare Josh Jen Montague with other churches in Montague. And other Josh Jens. You tend to compare your lamb roast against Gary's lamb roast. (laughs) For those who don't know, Gary's got a lamb roast in his oven. (laughs) It's cutting off. And as we were sitting there, there was a word that came out um, during the worship, and I want you to turn there just for a moment. And and I, I... I came back and I thought to myself, I'm not going to share this word because, you know, it was there. It was Friday night, it was amongst the elders, or Friday morning amongst the elders. And, and as I was preparing out of Thessalonians, continue to prepare out of Thessalonians, the Lord didn't want me to leave this verse or this portion of Scripture because it was such a profound portion of Scripture on Friday morning that was a warning for all of us as children of the Lord. And this morning, the Lord came directly into that in our worship. And you might, might pick it up, you might not pick it up, but I've picked it up this morning that God wants to free us from certain things where we might compare ourselves against other people, but in the, in the eyes of God, we might not be pleasing Him. Even in our worship, it was like, well, I worship better than other people, you know, so I think I'm, I'm okay. And, and, and about two weeks ago, um, I saw a clip of Francis Chan that, that brought up this verse that says that if anything is birthed out of selfish, selfish ambition, every evil practice exists. And I was like, Wow, just think about that for a moment. If I, if I, if I bring my worship to, to the Lord and there's something in my worship that's birthed out of the flesh in the sense that I am coming to the Lord out of an ambition so that I can be pleased, every evil practice exists. That means in my prayer life, if I come to him with any selfish ambition, the word of the Lord says that every evil practice exists. Which means as I can do good things for the Lord in, to my estimation, but in the eyes of the Lord, it's dirty and filthy and unworthy. 
of his presence. And you say, well, hang on, Claude, we're under grace, right? Yes, we are under grace. We are. We are broken vessels. We are not pure. We are, we are filthy. But what God calls us as Christians, and this is what he has called us to be as Justin Montague, is to die to live. Not to live to live, but to die. So I want to take you to this verse in Revelations. Three, verse one to six. Please turn in your Bible. <clears throat> I'm reading out of the ESVN. It starts by saying, and the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Talking about Jesus. These are the words of Jesus to John. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. But you are dead. Reputation speaks about from the outside, it looks pretty good. When other people look at you, they think that you are doing well for God. You're doing great. But Jesus says, his estimation is you are dead. And then he comes up and says, wake up! I don't think he, did, he said, he didn't say, wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains. In actual fact, what he's pointing is like he's, 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 he's setting out a graph. You started off good and you are actually declining and you are losing a lot of ground spiritually and not much is remaining. So therefore, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete. He's talking about works. I have not found your works complete. That means what I do, what you do, what we say, how we act, how we deal with our businesses, how we train our children, how we live amongst each other. I do not find it complete. In the sight of my God. In the sight of my God. Remember... Then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, here's the warning. Hey? Listen, listen to all of these warnings. I will come like a thief and you will, not know, you will not know at what hour I will come against you. This is God speaking to his church. This is God speaking to you and me and said, listen, you have received my righteousness. You have been made holy. Because I am holy. I have gifted you with life. But you have gradually moved away from walking in the spirit and started moving and walking in the flesh. 
And it seems like you've got a good reputation. So if I have to point, paint a picture of a church, you've got community groups, you've got programs for how to train children, you are keeping your people busy, you've got a thriving youth group on Friday nights, you are busy and people are thinking, wow, they're doing great. But all the while, there's something amiss. The works, I found your works not to be complete in the sight of the Lord. And then he carries on, he says, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and he will never, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. This is Jesus. I will confess his name, your name, before the Father. If you, com if you bring me completed works. And I just want to take you back maybe thinking about Cain and Abel. There was an offer that was re received by God and there was an offer that was rejected by God. See, God is not checking just the jumping up and down. That's, that's great. I love it. But he's checking the heart what you're jumping on. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, you must remind, be, be thinking to myself, uh, to yourself, well, you know, Claude, Claude went to this elders meeting. This word was given. This was given to all the lead elders and elders of Josh Chen on Friday. Because we might be comparing ourselves to other churches and think, we've arrived. We've got a good church. But unless we are diligent with the work that God has given us, the calling that is upon our lives. Matthew 28. That means not just me, not just the elders, not just the deacons, not just the community leaders, but every member of the body is called to a calling. And if our works are not complete, God says we're in danger. Now let me tell you something about Sardis. Didn't know this, but this pushed me to go and search this out. But King Cyrus was, uh, went to Sardis, which was a city, was a, it was a town, it was a church, it was an actual place. It was an actual church there. This letter went to an actual church in an actual city. This city, the location of the city was high up on a cliff, and it was, it was a perfect place for defense. If, you, if, you, if ever there was an attack, people would not attack Sardis, or so they thought. Because the cliffs around Sardis were so high, people would just, man, it's impossible to get there. In actual fact, King Cyrus said, he challenged one of his soldiers to say, listen, if you can, if you, if you can come into this city, man, I will give you a, a beautiful pot of gold. I, can't, I don't know what he gave him, but he wanted to give him a treasure because he had so much confidence that his city could not be attacked. 
because of its location, because of its, the way that it was built. And this soldier went and he actually had a look. And one of the other soldiers on the walls actually went down. He dropped his helmet over the cliff and he wanted to go and get it. And he, and he saw that this soldier took a private type of route down this cliff, which, which, which was easier to navigate. And that night, that soldier took a bunch of guys and they actually went into the city. In the history of Sardis, it happened twice that that city was overthrown because the governing people of that city was overconfident and thought to themselves, the city will never be toppled over. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself maybe this morning, is God not saying to you personally, you might be so confident in the way that you've been doing church and been doing religion and that you think God cannot come against you. I am secure. But here's a word. Allow God this morning to break the strongholds of your heart. Allow God to break the things that are not from Him. Go and put your life in the light of His sacrifice. And don't compare yourself to other people, but compare yourself to the standards of God. I wrote something here this morning. And I want to remind you that what a church is and what a church does is never hidden from God. What you are and what you do is never hidden from God. We are in a dirty world. We are in a dark world. We are in a terrible place. And we look at the news and we feel it in our pockets. We feel how the world is crunching and crunching. But we are called to keep our garments clean. Guys, I cannot stress this enough. If we want to see the power of God's Spirit move in this town, we need to be holy. Not just holy, we need to be dedicated, completely dedicated to the things of God. We cannot think that we can do things for God half measure. When we think and when we do have time, that's when we're going to do it for Him. And I want to remind you, if you're a parent here, the day that you got that child, there was no, you know, if you do things half measure with a child, you give it up for adoption. You're not a good parent. People look at, but I can tell you this much, I know these two people, everything that they have is being poured into those two children. Am I right? Because God gave them a gift. God gave us a gift of His Son. He adopted us into His family. And yet, we sometimes come half measure, ungrateful, coming to Him with our own ambitions, 
Lord, bless me. Bless me on this project. Bless me on this project. Bless me with this. Lord, I don't have time for you today, but tomorrow I might have time for you. Why? Because we are comparing ourselves. We're comparing ourselves to others. And we're thinking we're okay. Let me just put this out there. I wrote this down early this morning. Comparing ourselves to others becomes the breeding ground for pride and spiritual laziness. Comparing myself to somebody else becomes the breeding ground for pride and spiritual laziness. But comparing ourselves to God's standards will leave no room for pride and it will demolish any inclination to live a mediocre Christian life. How do I know this? Well, how come, how come do we get to a place where we actually compare ourselves to somebody else and then we just keep on living that way? Well, I think there was, there's one way. We don't know what the standards of God are. We don't know the word of God. We don't know what we've been called to. The enemy actually changes that. He changes certain things in our hearts towards God. Just like he did in the Garden of Eden, he started off by bringing a lie. And the lie was, he changed the name of God. God was Lord God, and then he said, did God really say? Small shift. Just take out the word Lord. Our Lord God. But did God really say? And then we come to the lie, fast forward, and we say, God is my Savior. He is. I'm okay. But is He Lord? Am I living in radical obedience to Him? And I've got to ask myself that question. You know how many times we have backed out as eldership out of a few things? Where God has clearly said to us, I do this and then we just back out because it's not comfortable God has been speaking to me about that why because we compare it to other people and then we come in to say well here it works differently I'm ask you a question we're looking at the book of Thessalonians. If you've read it, I hope you've read it. If you haven't read it, go and read it. It doesn't take a lot of time. It takes about 20 minutes, not even 15, 10 maybe, to read it from front to back. If you go and read the book of Thessalonians, you don't get the idea that these guys were actually doing things by half measure. In actual fact, Paul is writing and he says, listen, the word of the Lord didn't come to you just in word, but it came in power by the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Here's the thing about deep conviction. Weet jylle wat is deep conviction? Volle oortuig. 
I was reminded about that this week by somebody sitting here in the front. Conviction determines action. Am I right if I say that? You get a lot of, lot of different words for conviction. I'm persuaded to do certain things a certain way. We're talking about principle. We're talking about my dogmatic stand, my dogma. Dit wat ek in glue. What I'm convinced about. There are things that we are convinced about. And conviction determines action. And when Paul speaks to the church of Thessalonica, he actually comes and he says, listen guys, the word of the Lord came to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, dunamis power. There was miracles that took place amongst you guys. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, hmm. okay, I've got to compare my life to this. Yana, you know what? I think we're still good. Jesus said that whoever believes these signs will follow them. And I'm like, so where's the problem? Whoever believes. Conviction. You see, the power of God came to the church of Thessalonica and they actually were like convinced that this is the truth we've been waiting for for so many years. Nobody can, they, nobody can, could argue them out of it. The only thing that was left for them to do against the church of Thessalonica was to persecute them. Unless we live a life that will ruffle up certain people's feathers, unless we live a life where the power of God is so visible in our lives, we have to ask ourselves, what are we convinced about? What are we convicted about? Are we convicted about the fact that we are living a life holy unto the Lord, whereas God is saying that your works are not complete? Unless they chase you off the marketplace. Because you're praying too much for people to get healed. Your works are not complete. Unless you go and teach them, not just teach them, but teach them to obey the things that I've taught you, Matthew 28. Works are not complete. So this morning, I'm actually coming here this morning and I'm saying to you, guys, as a church, we've been called out, out of our natural habitat. We've been called out of our normal not so that we can form a new normal, but that we should be a church that lives in radical obedience to the word of God in every moment where the conviction actually determines the persecution. Wow. Did I just say that? Well, this is what happened to the church of Thessalonians. Paul calls them imitators of the apostles. You've got to ask yourself, are you, are you imitating the leaders of this church? 
while you're doing whatever you want. But that church was imitators. And this is one of the difficult things for me, guys, on Friday. It's like, there's apostolic leadership over us. And you see the life of God. And you see the power of God. In the Southern Cape region of Josh Jen, there's revival breaking out. Miracles are happening. People are coming to the Lord. Salvations are taking place. We've been in this body for six months. In the first month, we had baptisms. After that, we haven't had. It's not comparing against Southern Cape. It's comparing about God's standards. Go. Make disciples. Each and every one of you. Go. Imitate me, said Paul. Just like I imitate Jesus. Well, let me tell you about Paul. Paul came into a place, and when he asked people, the first thing he asked them was, um, in Corinth, he came in there. He's like, Michael, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? The answer was like, no. Mijn laatste was, jy by die baan gewees en iemand ontmoet. En die eerste vraag wat jylle vraag is, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? I'm saying, I haven't. I'm a pastor. I pastor people. What does that mean? Well, I come to church on Sundays and I preach. Is that what pastor means? No, but that's what we made it. I tried to get the rich people together so that we can have money so that the church can go on. Is that what pastoring means? No, pastoring people is to ask the question. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? No, what happened in Corinth when he asked that question? It's like, no. He says, well, if you haven't been filled in with the Holy Spirit, then in what baptisms have you been baptized? He immediately went to the root. Something is wrong if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. What baptism? What's the foundation? Our foundation is John the Baptist. He baptized us. He says, well, that's the baptism to repentance. It's not the baptism to salvation. And he baptized them. And when he baptized them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They started speaking in tongues. Were they perfect after that? No. But they started running for God. Same in Thessalonica. Paul calls them imitators. He said they welcomed the gospel in the midst of suffering. Welcomed the gospel. Actually, and this is where I wrote it, their acceptance of the gospel brought about suffering. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you lay down your life before the one that laid down his life, that died for you, that was risen from the death with you, that came and left the Holy Spirit for you, that made a way to God the Father, if you lay down your life and pick up your cross daily and follow him, God will do more through you than what he has done himself. Jesus. But you have to lay down your life. 
tears as yes, Paul's response to the church of Thessalonica. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1 to 2, it says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1 to 2. As in fact you are living. You see, here's the thing about Thessalonica, and that's why we're looking at it. That was the model church, right? That was a church that everybody aspired to be. In that area where they lived, everybody was looking at them and said, this is what church should be. This who got with like us. They've been ridiculed by their friends. They've been chased out of the synagogues. They were so ill-treated that the guys who were against them in Thessaloniki went to Berea to actually chase down Paul in Berea. Are you living to that standard where God is saying to you, listen, in the midst of such suffering, you still receive the word of God. And you're living that way. And listen to what he says in verse 2. He says, you're living now. Now we ask you, the apostolic team, so asking you and urging you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. I found myself this week saying these words and I'm repenting. I said, I cannot expect that much from our people. I'm repenting. It was about the men's camp. I was like, Lord, I won't expect people to go to a men's camp. To, I know it's tough. I know finances are grinding every single one sitting here. And as a leader, I said, I think we're doing enough. Paul comes and he says, no, you're not. This is how you live, and I want you to live more like that. You've achieved a standard, but I'm actually asking more. But Paul, don't you understand that they're killing us? Yes. And this was the call on Friday. I was listening to Andrew. Are you deeply convicted about the gospel? This is my question this morning, man. That's all question I have. Are you convicted that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father? Are you convicted that he is the only reason to live and that's the only problem? He's the only one that's satisfied. Are you convicted, deeply convicted? That's, I've got the words. I mean, I can tell you what that means. Are you convicted? Because when Andrew came to the Lord... He told his testimony. He had 900 rand. That was his salary in a church. So God asked him to pay tithes. So he started paying tithes. But then tithing is what? 90 rand if you can do some. 90 rand out of. And his rent was 1,000. 1,000 rand. Aksin Roy. So he stopped paying tithes. 
slack. No man will judge me for not paying tithes. I can't afford it. If I pay my tithes, I, I can't even have food on my table. I don't have enough money to start with for my, for my lodging. I don't think God will be angry until one day, six months later, God is saying to him, why are you robbing me? And God brought him to his knees, fell down and he said, Lord, I, I repent, sorry. I thought that's okay, God's grace, eh? I'll start paying tithes from now. And then the Lord came back to him and says, you owe me. What are you talking about, Lord? For the six months that you haven't paid. You see, God's standard is our tithing does not belong to me, the church, or anything. It's God's money. That's the standard. It belongs to God. We give it to God. He says, but God, I don't have money. I'll. And he's expecting me to cut more of myself. I remember I went through the same thing when I was a young pastor. Made stupid decisions, stopped paying tithes, and suddenly I couldn't come through. Before I know it, knew it, my salary was cut. I didn't know why. So I started borrowing money. I went to my mom. First month, she gave me some money. You know, moms are great. Second month, she gave me some money. Third month, said, sit down, boy. said, yes, time for a clappuccino. Are you living on the standards of God? What do you mean, mom? Are you paying your tithes? Why are you asking, mom? It's because if you have paid your tithes, you wouldn't be running short of money. Said that doesn't make sense. I said it doesn't need to make sense. It's a spiritual thing. I said, well, you know, honestly, I don't. Then it was like it wasn't like mm, I don't, you know, I didn't pay it. It's like you don't understand. Yes, you don't understand how tough it is out there. I've got to pay my rent. I've got to pay for this. I've got a girlfriend. Well, leave the girlfriend. Did God tell you you should go out with a girlfriend? No, but I want to. And he wants to give me the designs of my heart. How easy we come to a place where we preach a gospel to ourselves that's comfortable. Where we look alive, but we're actually dead. We look alive, but we actually did. Here's the thing for us this morning. They welcomed the gospel in the midst of their suffering. And I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 2. And I'm ending with this. This is Paul praying. I was wondering, how did, it, how, did, how did it be that the Thessalonians was a church that didn't get that letter that Sardis got? When Paul wrote about them, they were like model churches. They were beautiful people. Were, 
looking at them as a model. And they didn't even have the input that some of our churches have. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13 says, like, and we also thank you, thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God. See, the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And when the Holy Spirit comes in your heart, he points us to Jesus. Jesus Christ is described as the word that became flesh. When Paul went and he preached the gospel with power, with deep conviction, into the lives of the Thessalonians, he brought the word, but they received the word. That was also the work of the Holy Spirit. But they received it, accepted it as not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. My question to us this morning, in the light of what God has shared this morning, is what do you believe this morning? Are you holding on to the word as an opinion, as a crutch, as a daily day piece that can give you solidity through the day, or is it actually the word of God? They did three things. They received the word of God. Their posture was to say, this is the word of God. Everything in this word, I will obey. Radically. They accepted the word as the word of God. In other words, they placed it as the highest authority. And what they did not understand, the apostles made clear to them. The leaders made clear to them. And they held it at the highest priority. They placed it in the position of truth. That's why the church of Thessaloniki was so powerful and they kept the word so in other words they just didn't say hey this is the word they actually demonstrated the word they kept it and this brings it back to Jesus Christ he said if you truly love me you will obey my commandments you will do what I said you will have a life of radical obedience If you truly believe, if you truly believe. This morning, I'm convicted in my heart that we as a church need to go and put our lives, each an individual, against God's standards. Not against my standard, not against a church's standard, but against God's standard. And we should align our lives according to that. There's a story in Kings, and it was Emil that reminded us this week of Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he took over the kingdom of Judah. 
And it came to a place in that reign that the word of the Lord was actually gone. They had priests, they had elders, they had all the form of religion, but everything was gone. There was vach. And then the high priest found the word of the Lord and he brought it to Josiah. And Josiah started reading it. And when he read the word of the Lord, he tore his clothes. He repented because he realized that they moved away from God's model, from God's plan. And this is what it says in 2 Kings 23 verse 25. It says, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, all his soul, and all his might. He turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, and nor did anybody arise like him afterwards. This was Josiah, a king. You can go and read that story in 2 Kings 22 and 23. I'm going to ask you something. Because we're a body. I'm going to ask you for the next few months put down any other thing that you're reading. I was visiting Peter this week and the first thing that I did was I went to his book, bookshelf. And a lot of people come to me and they check my bookshelf. We plug into YouTube. We plug into all of these things. And this is not just a call from me. We sat as elders. It's a call from our apostolic leaders in Josh Jen. It was actually called out through the deacons, to the deacons in deacons training in the beginning of the year. Put down the extra books in Josh Jen. Put it down. Read the Bible. Read it. Read it. Switch off the YouTube. Switch off the other pastors and the preachers. Read the word of the Lord. Just like Josiah did. Because when you light your life in the light of the word, you will see where you need to fix, where you need to plug, where you need to move. It will bring conviction to your heart. Read the word. Can I ask that of you? Don't send on WhatsApp groups things about nice people preaching nice. Listen, guys, we're living in a time where false teaching comes in subtly. And within Josh Chen, we want to be pure, white, radical for God. And I'm sold out for that. Our leadership is sold out for that. I'm asking you that we will do that in light of what God has done for us on the cross of Calvary. I'm not saying that we won't read books again. But for this season, let's put it down. Let's put it down and trust God. Let's put all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind into the word of the Lord. And I'm coming as first. I've got bad habits, guys. 
So I'm repenting. I will not ask you to do anything that I will not do. And if you find me asking you anything that I'm not willing to do, I ask you to flag that. Because we need to lead ourselves into a place where we've got holy robes, white robes, white garments. Because that's the standard of God. No other standard. It's the standard of God.